0: Well, we, we began the third chapter of the confession uh, last time we were, we were studying this about a, a month ago, and this is our second uh, part of chapter 3 of the 1689, and we're studying the decree of God. We walked through the first paragraph last time of uh, chapter 3 of God's decree, and it says, God hath decreed in himself from all, all eternity... By the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet not so, as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. In which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decrees. And we dealt with two particular stories in the scriptures to help us to understand uh, what this concept that's being communicated within this paragraph. That God has ordained whatsoever shall come to pass. And this is a doctrine that's not without its difficulties and it's not without its It's controversies. Because it's easy to say God has ordained the things that I really appreciate and the things that I like. It becomes more difficult when we say God ordains the things that we despise. God ordains that which he has commanded against. And those are the waters that we begin to step into. And we did not, last time, we did not completely unpack this. I did not give you all of the answers to the questions that you might have. But we talked about the stories of Joseph and the crucifixion of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we were reminded that Job is one who asked many questions. Job is one who asked, why is this happening? Why are these things happening to me? And the Lord never answered that question. The Lord rather gave Job a series of other questions that he had no answer to. And so just as the Lord did not fully answer Job's question, we're fully not going to answer the questions here. We're going to be able to come up with questions that we don't have answers to. The Lord has not so chosen to reveal these things to us. God owes us nothing. God does not owe us an answer God is not required to answer the various questions that we have. We must remember there is a creator and creature distinction. But we can remember many truths. And I believe that the stories that we walked through last time, the story of Joseph, the story where we saw the hand of God working in the redemption of the people and saving the people from starvation and saving most of the world at that time from starvation in saving even Joseph's brothers who had sinned greatly against Joseph, who had sinned greatly against their father. And they sold him into slavery. But it is Joseph who was sold into slavery, placed in Egypt, placed even in Potiphar's household, sinned against by Potiphar's wife, placed into prison, and the Lord used all of these sinful actions of man. These, as it says here, second causes, remember? The Lord is the first cause. He has ordained whatsoever shall come to pass. That's the first cause. But, but the Lord didn't just make it all just happen and that's it. The Lord is working through the intentional and willful desires and actions of men. God is so sovereign that he is accomplishing his purpose, even through the sinful actions of men. And you ask, well, why is the Lord allowing sin to continue? Well, for his own glory, for his own purpose. I can't answer that in each and every circumstance. You can go and find a tragedy in the news and say, why is the Lord letting this happen? I don't know specifically why. The Lord is doing and allowing that to happen right there. But we do ultimately know it's for his own purpose. It's for his own glory. He has ordained these things to happen. But we saw in the story of Joseph. The Lord ordaining. Joseph to be sold into slavery. It ultimately led to. Saving his family. Saving the world. Enriching Egypt. Egypt became so. Wealthy. Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, and they became so wealthy. And they grew, and Pharaoh grew in his pride. The Lord would ultimately humble them. But we see so many different aspects of redemptive history that flowing out of Joseph being sold into slavery that we can't walk through all right now. But they really are incredible. But the most important way, I would say that we see the Lord's plan coming to fruition in Joseph being sold into slavery is that Judah is saved. One of Joseph's brothers, Judah, is saved. And Judah is the line that the Messiah is going to come from. As it has been stated, that the scepter will never depart. The scepter will never depart from Judah. Judah. The Messiah will come forward. So it was absolutely necessary that Judah be saved. And the Lord used the sinful actions of the brothers of Joseph to sell him into slavery. That Judah could be saved. And that doesn't answer all the questions. But we see even Joseph at the end of his life. Remember, we, we reflected upon this. And Joseph was there. His brothers were before him. They were weeping. They were, they were apologizing. Joseph in no way legitimizes their decisions he in no way says it's okay you didn't mean it no they meant it they did exactly what they meant to do but the lord meant something else they meant one thing by their actions the lord intended another purpose through those actions that he used and joseph says this what you meant for evil god meant for good Lord had a good purpose. Lord had worked, and we see Joseph being changed. Joseph is a different person than when he was younger. We, we see even, even the brothers of Joseph changed. Brothers who did not care about their father's desires, their father's feelings, their father's concerns. In fact, maybe even wanted to spite him. Jealous over the favoritism that the father showed to Joseph. Perhaps even Joseph had his own sense. Perhaps he was being a bit of a show-off in how he behaved. He was maybe a little ostentatious with the gifts that he was given. We see the brothers of Joseph even at the end. When Joseph says, bring me your younger brother. They lay down the list say, no, take me. Don't take my brother. It, it, it's going to bring my father down. Not the concern that was there earlier. We see the Lord even working in the lives of these men. The other story that we talked about was, was that of Jesus. Lord's ordained whatsoever shall come to pass. And we've mentioned this many times. that That you can think of many, many great tragedies that are there. And you can say why, why, and it's okay to say why. Psalmists say why. Writers of Scripture say why. It's not okay to approach the Lord as though he owes you something, as though you've in some way been been slighted. No, we deserve the wrath and the curse of God. We need to remember that. We need to enter that door properly and remember that. It's okay to ask why. You, You care. Of course you should be concerned over things that happen but we mentioned that the comfort that is there in remembering the life death and resurrection of Jesus and in what the lord ordained to happen what the lord ordained to happen through the d- redemption that occurred through the death of Christ that the lord ordained sinful men to do certain actions we see peter preaching on this remember we saw this peter Preaching on this at Pentecost. Peter, Peter preaching on this at a prayer as he's praying, talking about Herod and Pontius Pilate doing what the Lord had predestined to happen, doing what the Lord had intended for them to do. Some sinful men acted in the arrest of Christ, in the persecution of Jesus, in placing Jesus upon the cross. Sinful men acted in this. They had one intention, but the Lord had another intention. And when you see the death of Christ, you see the the greatest injustice that's ever occurred. What greater injustice is there than the sinless Son of God who's come down to dwell amongst his people, being beaten and persecuted and nailed upon a cross, the comfort that we saw in that is that if the Lord can use even that to accomplish his good purpose, if the Lord can use even those sinful actions of men to bring about this great act of redemption, who are we to ever question anything the Lord ordains? How do we have any standing in questioning? We, We don't. We don't. So it doesn't answer all of our questions specifically. We don't get the full layout of why the Lord did what he did. We don't have that really with anything. But we do. We are able to look back at these two situations. And we can find others in scripture as well. But these are probably two of the best, I would say. Two situations where we see the hand of the Lord working very directly and clearly in the scriptures to accomplish his good purpose. And sinful men working likewise. And the Lord accomplishing his good purpose through their actions. So these men are, as it says here, acting. They, they, they are acting in there. We would even say, we can say this in the confession. We walked through this last time. We do have a chapter on free will. These men were acting in their free will. Now, it wasn't free the way some people wanted to define free. And just define it as someone can do anything at all at any point. No, they were born sinful creatures. But they were freely acting. That's how our confession understands free will. These were sinful men who were acting freely. They weren't robots. God, God wasn't making them act and do what they did. The Lord is not the author of sin. He has no fellowship with sin. You may not be able to connect all these dots and understand them perfectly, but we can, we can see these and understand them and trust in what the scriptures say to us in these areas. There's all this idea of this, the, 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 you know, the two wills of God, and this is something that, is, that can be confusing, and it doesn't mean that God, God's confused, God isn't confused. Um, but what it does mean is that we're, we're using the word just, just slightly differently when we're using this and so it's important to understand that God has decreed you know there can be something that we desire to happen it can be it can be a very good thing that we desire to happen it could be a righteous thing we desire to happen and it may not come forward something that's a very good thing And we say well, that was not the will of God God's ordained whatsoever should come to pass this good thing that we desire that may have been even good for us desire it to come to pass doesn't come to pass. It's not the will of God. It's not at this time. We know ultimately he's going to restore all things and make all things right. But at this time, this is what he has so ordained to happen. And we trust in that. We also have his prescriptive will. And so we make a distinction there because God has commanded certain things. And we have walked through this many times over. God has commanded... That men live holy lives. God has commanded that you be obedient. And we see this in the Ten Commandments. We see this in the moral law of God. Love God and love people. And so you can tell someone that you are not living in a way that is consistent with the will of God. And that they are violating the commandments that God has has given. But God has so chosen to use even the sinful actions of men. To accomplish his purpose, so that's the introduction, and it was it was kind of a long introduction. But I want to not just walk right in here because there's a lot going on in paragraph one. We could have spent a lot more time walking through paragraph one, but I believe paragraph two is an excellent uh, progression from paragraph one. It's the it's a, a the logical outworking of what would follow next. And in the next few paragraphs, we're dealing with the topic of election and reprobation. We're dealing with both of those topics. If God has ordained whatever comes to pass, therefore he has ordained those who will be saved and those who will be lost. Okay, God didn't just choose, all right, the one he he acted, and the Lord ordained whatsoever shall come to pass. This isn't the Lord who is doing all that he can with what he has. There's many errant ideas that men come into. They they walk into Arminian ideas and have this idea of God's doing all that he can or we've talked about Molinistic ideas where where God's just basically reactionary. He's like a giant supercomputer. And he's calculating all the decisions of men. And all the many things that they can do. And he's trying to just respond to each of these things. There are those that that don't understand these ideas. They look at the idea of of foreknowledge and election. And they try to justify God. They try to say, look, here's what God is doing. God has not ordaining who will be saved and who will be lost specifically, just rather categorically. They would say, look, the Lord is is rather just ordaining that whoever is going to believe in Jesus, whoever that is, whoever that might be, just choose to be chosen. Just come to Jesus and you'll be one of the elect. It's just a matter of he's looking and he's seeing get that out of the idea of foreknowledge if you don't take into account what the word actually means if I project my understanding of foreknowledge onto that idea then it's it's merely okay the the Lord is looking through the corridors of time and choosing men who are going to choose Jesus but that's going to contradict what has already been said in the first paragraph and it's contradicting what we taught the very last time the confession does not give allowance for that The confession does not allow you to try to justify God or try to give God a way out. Okay, God's really fair. Okay, he's not like some of these people are making him out to be. He's not like what these passages sound like. That's the very opposite. It's the very opposite of what the writers are communicating. I want us rather to, I actually don't have a whole lot of notes here, I I want to walk through Romans chapter 9. I just want to spend some time in Romans chapter 9 because I think it's one of the best places that we can walk through and think about what Paul is saying on the topic of election and reprobation. We've got a couple other passages that we'll use as examples. So let's read paragraph two. Although God knoweth whatsoever, may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. They are writing this very intentionally. This Molinism is not... possibility within the confession. God is not reacting. God is not saying man's gonna do this and I'll do this and man will do this like he's playing a, a giant chess game. No, the Lord's ordained whatsoever shall come to pass. Remember God is the first cause, but he's not the second cause in all these situations. For the most part, it is other men who are acting freely within their own desires, within their own opportunities and capabilities the Lord has given them, using the resources the Lord has given to them. The Lord is using those actions, some righteous, some unrighteous, to accomplish his purpose, to bring about what he has decreed. Remember, the Lord decrees and he brings about what he has decreed through creation and, and through providence. Those are the two means, and we'll get to providence here in a couple Chapters. So let's look at Romans chapter 9. As he, he walks through this idea, we see Romans 9. If you, look, if you look there as a footnote, Romans 9 is referenced numerous places. And I thought instead of just dealing with these specific verses and trying to explain them, let's just look at what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 9. So let's look at Romans 9, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at 1 through 5. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness Amen. And he's talking here about the Jews and how the Lord has worked through the Jews and the promises the Lord has has made through the Jewish people culminating in the Messiah who has come forward from among them who had been prophesied many times over. We see him prophesied in the very early pages of Scripture. But there is a problem here. There are a great many Jews at this time here And I would even say at this time now who are not trusting upon the Messiah, who are holding the Old Testament scriptures, who have the law and the prophets and are not believing upon this promised one. And so that's the difficulty that Paul is dealing with here. So let's see how Paul unpacks this and it's going to tie very directly to election and reprobation. He says there in verse 6. But it is, not, it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. So he's reminding them here that merely being a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean that you are a child of God. There's a great many people that may have a direct relation with Abraham that are not children of God, that are not children of the promise. Abraham had many children. um, But there is one line that we are dealing with here. Romans 9, beginning in verse 9, look at this. It says, For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived uh, children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And we see this idea with these two children that come forward, Jacob I loved and Esau I have hated. And it says before they had done anything good or bad, not on account of how good they would be. And you can even ponder it that way. Was Jacob chosen because he was going to be such a righteous man? He was going to be such a a good man. He was going to be the one that the Lord saw This is the horse. This is the one that I want to support. This is the one I want to choose because he's going to live such a righteous and a holy life. Jacob will live a righteous and a holy life in time, but Jacob is one who was born in rebellion. Jacob is one who did not honor his father and mother. Jacob is one who broke the ninth commandment numerous times over Jacob's one whose name means deceiver, one who lies, one who seeks to take advantage of other people in their circumstances. Think of even the people of Israel, what the Lord says of them. Does the Lord say, I chose you because you were such a great people. I chose you because you were going to be such a holy and a righteous people. Look at the book of Judges. The Lord accomplished his purpose in spite of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are going to be involved. The leadership at the time is going to be involved. And putting to death the Messiah that had been prophesied. The Messiah they had been speaking of and singing of in the Psalms. The Messiah that the entirety of the ceremonial law was pointing to. He is going to be overwhelmingly despised by the people that are there at that time. No, the Lord says you were chosen that his good purpose would be accomplished. Accomplished. but but you can look at this story. Jacob I loved and Esau I have hated before they've done anything good or bad. You may say, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Why is the Lord choosing some and he's not choosing other people over here? That's the question that's asked. That's the logical concern that is here. It's exactly what Paul begins to deal with in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Hmm? He knows that's the question. He knows that's the concern people will have. That's not fair. How can he do this? People then want to go and justify God? They want to get God off the hook somehow. This isn't saying what it's saying. No, Paul knows exactly what this is saying. Paul knows the exact concerns that people have when they look at this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He's he's going to go back and use another portion of scripture to justify what he is saying here. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. This is the Lord's free choice. Let's just back up a second. Because it's very easy at this point to get ruffled and get upset. And you, I think what happens is that people forget man's natural state. People forget the trajectory that mankind was on. It's not as though Pharaoh was born and Moses was born. And these various people were born, and they were on their way to go and to worship God. They were desiring to live holy lives, and the Lord just smacked one of them down and said, No, reprobate. You're going to be reprobate. You're going to live an unholy life. No, that is the trajectory of all mankind. All people are born dead in their trespasses and sins. If you understand Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 9 is much easier to understand if you remember that no one is righteous. No, not one. That's what Paul says. No, not one. You begin to think of someone, but this person's no. Not even that person that you're imagining over here, apart from Christ. Someone called me on that recently, like I'm, I'm orthodox. I'm talking overwhelmingly. Humanity is born unrighteous, born evil, born children Of Satan, children of the devil, not children of God. It is God who is acting in giving man life. It is God who is moving. It is God who is acting to bring a man to life, just as Jesus woke Lazarus up, raised him from the dead, and Lazarus began to walk. Lazarus didn't do that. It's not because, of well, Lazarus was obedient. Yeah, Lazarus was obedient obedient to Jesus' command. Yes, he was. But why? Because Jesus gave him life. Jesus made his ears and his brain and his body suddenly work. So, yes, then he was obedient. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ that had acted, that had moved. And so it is with all men who come to faith in Christ Jesus. The Lord is saying, I will save this one. I will bring this one to life. So what about Pharaoh? Getting a little ahead here into reprobation, but this idea, so what happened with Pharaoh? Did the Lord just say, okay, I'm going to make this one sin a lot? I'm really going to make this one sin, No, We already read the Lord. The Lord is not the author of sin. The Lord's not causing anyone to sin. So what's happening here when he's hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was acting in a way that was insane. Pharaoh was acting in a way that was contrary to the preservation of his life, contrary to the preservation of his, his, his kingdom, his empire, contrary to the, the preservation of his family and his people and his power. Anyone with any sense would have said, okay, I need to let this people go because things are not going well. We are losing our crops, we are losing our cattle, we're losing our firstborn children. And the Lord hardened him that he would not go forward at that time with what is most reasonable, but rather he went forward with the desire of his heart. The desire of his heart to live in rebellion to his creator, to live in rebellion to the command of God. What's happening there is God was showing mercy to the Israelites. These are not a people who were this righteous and holy people. We see what is in their hearts when they get into the wilderness. God is calling them out of Egypt. And it took many years to call the Egypt out of the Israelites. But the Lord is showing his power. That the name of the Lord will be proclaimed throughout earth he is accomplishing his good purpose there that even in this we can see this we can go back to joseph and see this this power that pharaoh had at this time he 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 had all the land except for that of the priests he had all this gold people from all over the world were just take my money take my gold i have no food please just take it your gold is useless when you're starving They didn't care about their gold anymore. So he was so wealthy. He could amass this great army. This great powerful army. And the Lord could bring him down from his power like that. Could destroy his army like that. The Lord displayed his power. The Lord raised Pharaoh up. And the Lord pulled Pharaoh down. This is the Lord acting. And the Lord working. We see... So many of these strands flowing through redemptive history. People ask questions. Why is man held accountable if it is all predestined? If the Lord has predestined this to occur, then how can God hold anyone accountable? Who does he think he is? Now, someone may not say that, but you hear it in the tone of their voice. You hear it in the tone of their voice when they begin to walk through these, these ideas. And they begin to question these, these concepts. Why is man held accountable? Because as we've already said, man is freely acting. Man is doing what man desires to do. Go back to Romans 1. The law of God is evident there in creation. God is evident there in creation. Man is not ignorant that he is violating God's law. Man is not ignorant that he is one who is has created by the creator and he's accountable to the one who has given him life he is breathing the air that god gives him he has taken the blessings that god gives him so that he can use them to go and sin against god even more and more and more it's intentional what he is doing god owes man nothing the lord was not required to send jesus it wasn't, it wasn't a requirement within the nature of God that he absolutely had to do that. Yes, in eternity past, there's a covenant of redemption made between the Father and the Son. Yes, the Lord said that he would bring Christ. He would send the child of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. So the Lord's going to do what he has said he is going to do. But there was nothing that absolutely required that God to save man. We can say that, see that same reality there, that there are angels will have that as we continue through the confession of this chapter, there are angels that are unelect. There are angels that sinned, that fell. The Lord has has given no means to save them. He's not required to grant them salvation. The Lord did not come forward and assume an angelic body whereby to save the angels. We have no evidence of that. Those angels we see in the book of Revelation are going to be cast into the lake of fire with Satan. Satan and his angels will be cast into the lake of fire. There is nothing that requires God to save. God freely chose to do this. God chose to display his kindness and his love and his mercy and his grace. So man is held accountable because man is freely acting and sinning against the God That he knows, why does he still find fault? That's the next question that is asked. Now, I have answered that question more than Paul does. Look at Paul's response. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Isn't it fascinating that Paul knows the questions that people are going to ask? Paul is walking through this concept of election and reprobation. He's walking through this concept, and he knows the questions that people are going to ask. He knows the areas where people are going to get hung up. He says, you say to me, then why does God still find fault for who can resist his will? And look at Paul's response. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who are you? Paul's not even going to answer the question. Who are you? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? He pushes it back on the person asking the question. Who are you to answer back to God? Who are you you think that you are in a righteous standing? You think you are positionally in a righteous standing, in a more just, I'm more just than God? I'm more righteous than God? I'm holier than God? Who do you think you are? You're fooling yourself. You think you're holier than God. You're more righteous than God. Does this not come down to what man likes to do? A man likes to say, i got a better plan than what the Lord has. I've got some ideas of what, what could be done differently. You know, sometimes you hear people pray. You hear people pray, and it's almost like they think like God needs some ideas. They're bringing their petitions before the Lord. They're not just bringing their requests before the Lord. No, they've got, it's almost like, hey, God, I don't think you understand all of this, Lord. I don't think you, there's some details here that you don't quite have that I need to give to you. That's not righteous prayer. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to the molder? Why did you make me like this? He's just saying, this is ridiculous. Who do you think you are to question the Lord in his decree? He continues. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump? One vessel for honorable use? And another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? And Paul is asking this in a hypothetical way, but Paul has an understanding as well of redemptive history paul's using stories and he's using examples and illustrations from redemptive history when god did just this where the israelites will sing psalms for many years into the future singing of the redemption that they were given how they were freed from slavery in egypt they were set free Not because of their righteousness and their goodness and all that they have done or how important they were or everything they were going to accomplish. No, but because of the free and sovereign hand of the Lord in freeing them and allowing them to go forward. And the Lord even continuing as the Lord is judging them. God is still being faithful to his promise of the child that will come from this people of that royal line that is coming forward, that is coming out of the line of Abraham. And we saw that as we preached through the book of Luke. This idea of this line that is here, this child of Abraham, this child of David, this one who is going to sit upon the throne of David. And as some of you sang this recently in Handel's Messiah, we'll sit forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the work of God. That's the power of the Lord to bring about his good purpose and the means he has so determined to bring it about. And This is something that I'm, I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to go to paragraph three. We'll get to paragraph three next time. But I'm going... It's important for us to understand that, that we need to not go too far in, in any direction on this. We need to not... Make this as though we know everything that the Lord is doing. But we need to trust in what the Lord has spoken about himself. We know this is following our study and our understanding of theology proper. This is following our understanding of the attributes of God that we saw in chapter 2. So we understand that God is righteous and he is holy. He is a just God. He is more just than any judge on this earth. So we don't have to call into question his justice. We can say, I don't fully understand this here and now. There's going to be many things that fall into that category. But we must not charge God. And We must not be arrogant and proud and act as though, I could have done this better. Or, or I've got a better idea. I can say, I don't understand this. This is so painful. This is difficult. This is hurtful. I will never understand this in my entire life. Okay, you can say that. But at the same time, you're still trusting in the Lord and what you know to be true and what he has communicated about himself. Because the Lord used much injustice and much sin to bring about the redemption that we have. And that's what we must remember. That's what we must hold to is remember who God is and what he has done in his sovereign work through Christ Jesus, the only hope that any of us have, the true religion that is distinct from all of man's false religion in this world. Let's end there. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll begin on paragraph three next time.